Hello and a warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Tuesday, the 2nd of November 2021. Mark Penders on the East Coast and I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. OK, so it's another challenging period for monetary policymakers who now, more than ever, seem to be losing the battle to convince investors that rising inflation will be only temporary. Last week, there were some predictably neutral statements from the Bank of Japan and less convincingly, the European Central Bank, but also a more hawkish announcement from the Bank of Canada. Just yesterday, above target inflation forced the Reserve Bank of Australia to abandon its long-standing policy of yield, control, yield curve control and amend its forward guidance. And you can read more about that in Brian Jackson's piece in Econoday's Global Economic Calendar. Immediately ahead, expectations are high that tomorrow, Wednesday, the Fed will announce the beginning of its QE tapering programme, while on Thursday, the Bank of England is seen going one step further and actually raising its benchmark interest rate. However, if so, neither move will really do much to dent what will still be highly accommodative monetary stances and real interest rates will remain very negative. Nonetheless, as a first step on the path of policy normalisation, the changes will be psychologically important for investors and will inevitably fuel speculation about how far the turn in the cycle might run. So first up then is the Fed with the FOMC due to issue forth tomorrow. So Mark, what is the mm-hmm. consensus and, and what are the key elements in the announcement that we should be looking at? That the $120 billion per month um, purchases that the Fed is doing is uh, going to be divided by eight. Uh, that, that seems it has a convenient uh, division there that comes out to 15 billion per month. So uh, the Fed has been talking about sometime mid next year of uh, bringing this to an end. And so, you know, November and December, and then another six months comes out to eight, and eight conveniently divides into 120 at 15 billion per month. And then you break 15 billion per month, that conveniently comes out into thirds. And there's um, right now, they buy twice as many treasuries as they do mortgage-backed securities. So that it conveniently divides into 10 billion less for treasuries per month and then 5 billion less for MBS. So um, it works out so nicely. It would be a shame if, if, they, <laughs> if they came up with another uh, division. But um, so, but that is the, among the Econoday um, panel is um, not a universal, uh, it's not universal, but it is it, by far the great bulk of the, of the, of the economists think that that's going to uh, be the outcome. How do, you think the risk, how do you think the risks are stacked? Greater or faster quantitative easing or a slower pace? I would say, well, I think it would be the slower pace. I think that if there is a surprise and there is always, you know, it, however, totally certain as certain can be that this is going to happen we're still not you know you really don't absolutely totally know and whatever i think that the odd uh, the odd outcome could be that they they could delay it um the uh, uh the tapering um and that's because of the employment market here in the u.s i know that doesn't seem to be playing out in other economies but here in the u.s it definitely is it's um the fed had been stressing all along the importance of the participation rate here and the participation rate and they started out right at the very beginning um talking about how they're going to have to uh, uh, powell is going to have to or he he really stressed it the, the need for an even fair uh, uh, recovery in the uh, in, in uh, the low income uh, employment, 
and that's never happened. So uh, the the participation rate here is 61.6% in, in the September employment report, and that compares to uh, over 63, 63.4 in January of last year, 63.3 in February before the pandemic. So, and that's never recovered. It's recovered in other economies, but it hasn't recovered here. And so if you look at the actual numbers, that equates to about 3 million people out of work that have not returned in any way to the labor market. And so that's a missing chunk. And until that is somehow, and I want to talk about that a little bit, what that means for um, lack of production. And maybe that's part of why we're getting these shortages. You think of, it's not just always the demand side. I mean, uh, lack of workers can be affecting the supply side as well. In any case, um, so I think that, that's their uh, vulnerability. And, of course, the, the, as you know, we've had some um, shenanigans going on with the Fed governors. They're all um, well-heeled. <laughs> and a couple of them were were uh, in uh, Rosengren and um, uh, Kaplan in, in Dallas were uh, caught um, buying, investing in stocks when they really sh- it does doesn't look good, and so at the same time they're saying how important it is to help uh, the little guy, and at the same time uh, it brings to the surface how their vast great wealth, and also because of it powers up for a renomination and it's a democratic mm-hmm. um, controlled. I think he's going to be a little bit sensitive, so I think that they're going to err a little bit and pick up that. Uh, lip service to the to the to the little people. So I I think that that's really if there is any element, however small that is, of doubt here, uh, I think that that's where it would go. Okay. Um, in terms of the economy, then, I mean, you had what well, I guess we can say a fairly disappointing third quarter GDP number last week. Friday we're going to get obviously the update on the payroll. Um, what's the expectation for Friday? And I mean, is there is there an a, a sort of working assumption that the third quarter was misleadingly weak or temporarily weak, and we're going to see a bounce back in the fourth quarter. In which case, would a poor October payroll start to raise doubts about? Well, look, as you're perhaps hinting at, you know, this tapering might take a little bit, little bit longer than people are currently expecting. Well, the um, here in the U.S., we had uh, emergency, uh, vast amounts of, of fiscal emergency stimulus, and a lot of that went into the unemployment benefits. Now, these have been rolling off in a, in, um, in, a, in a very substantial way. And we've seen jobless claims come down uh, and uh, in, in line with that, with, with the, as those benefits roll off. Uh, and the assumption then would be that they would be moving into the um, labor force. Uh, however, the last two employment reports, September and August, have come in below Conaday's uh, uh, consensus range. Um, so we haven't seen that move yet. Uh, will we see that move? Uh, the consensus right now for the October report, which is Friday, which is going to be two days after the Fed announcement, is 400,000, um, which is a very sizable amount. and would double um, the 194 that we saw it was lower than expected in um, in September, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, but the uh, participation rate again is uh, it, it's 
predicted to come up a couple of tens to 61.8, which would be an improvement, which would be in the right direction. But uh, we have to see how all this plays out. You know, uh, something that really came out um, in uh, last week's date, it was the quarterly uh, employment cost index. This thing, and I'm, I'm here I'm not I'm referring to average hourly earnings in the Friday's employment report, which are seen going up pretty sizably, you know, a 0.4% monthly chunk for a 4.8% annual rate. And that's like double the rate it was uh, going into the pandemic. But it was this employment cost index, which is a very um, uh, closely watched, uh, uh, frequently referred to historically by the um, by the Federal Reserve governors. And uh, it measures uh, uh, labor costs from the employer's uh, point of view. And um, it came in just at the shocking uh, degree. I think it was, I'm calling it up now on my Alcada Day calendar, 1.3% quarter over quarter. There's nothing that even approaches that. Uh, The prior before that was 0.7% quarterly, and that was very high to begin with. And and the month before that was 0.9, which was like the... Before the 1.3, that was all. That was, uh, and, and I think uh, this series goes back to the 80s, uh, and, uh, and and year over year, it, the same thing it was 3.7. There's been nothing to compare with with these numbers, and so, and this was for the third quarter. So uh, this really does suggest that um, you know employers are having this is old-fashioned uh, labor, you know, cost push. Mm-hmm. Uh, wage push inflation and that's what we haven't been seeing in this whole since 12 years ago since the, the financial crisis and all of a sudden you get this gigantic reading in this uh, uh in this one and i think it got lost in all the data but i think that that is a key that really does point to uh the hawks will really use that to begin the the tapering for sure um, but in any case, that that you know, what what the labor force here is in in, in flux here in the U.S. Um, and uh, so at the one time, at the one, it, it, there's a scarcity of workers, and and uh, that's I think hurting uh, supply. And at the same time, we're getting what may be this big push in wages, uh, and that will be inflationary. Certainly the inflation numbers ha- have been elevated, haven't been coming down. The transitory thesis hasn't proved out yet. So, um, it's, it, yeah, so it's, it's, a it's, it's a, it, 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 that, so I, I definitely think that we're going to get the, the tapering. How do you like that? Okay. Um, before we round off, let me start you a little bit more medium term. Let's suppose the tapering goes through as the market's would appear to be discounting at the moment. When uh-huh. does the Fed raise interest rates? Well, they don't see that. I don't have the Fed um, uh, uh, quarterly estimates in front of me, but I don't think that the uh, rate increase was out in, until a, a few years uh, ahead. Uh, that would be the, you know, that would be the final thing. Presumably, you'd you would first get tapering. I mean, that's the way they've been setting it up here with the Fed. I know that's not, obviously. So the, uh, the Bank of England, which is going to be raising rates. I mean, well, you can talk about how that plays with their QE, but here it's QE first and then rate. So uh, once we clear up QE, then then they can go to their traditional. They can clear this, clear the deck of the extraordinary monetary policy tools and get back to the old-fashioned uh, federal funds rate that's i think how they look at it so um i think that you know it, 
if that that's not on the radar yet, when that does get on the radar, I think you would see, you know, um, interest rates really start to move higher, right. you know, and, and trouble in the stock market. Okay, so I suppose Lee's naturally then, as you mentioned, to the Bank of England, um, the MPC, uh, November MPC will be making their announcement on Thursday. And I guess it's fair to say that, well, it would appear anyway, the Bank of England's policy has done a complete U-turn since September. As of then, the view from the bank was very much that the, the rise of inflation we've seen so far this year was going to be, to use a well-known expression, transitory and expected all these uh, problems and disruptions with global supply chains and indeed domestic supply chains to to sort themselves out effectively by themselves in the fullness of time however over the course of the last several weeks has been well, a whole raft of comments coming out from senior bank officials, including uh, Andrew Bailey, the, the governor of the Bank of England, really indicating that, well, look, markets are pricing in higher interest rates and bottom lines. They're probably doing the right sort of thing. And that's really given it a wholesale boost to the sentiment that UK interest rates are about to go up. And the consensus, which I must say looks pretty sensible to me, is that when we get to Thursday, we'll have an increase of 15 basis points. Uh, to 25 basis points in the bank's benchmark rate, which is bank rate. And that'd be the first increase we've seen there what, over a couple of years now. Um, it's not a done deal by any means, because last time round, it was a unanimous nine to zero vote in favour of keeping bank rate unchanged. And there's certainly at least a couple of dubs on the MPC who don't really seem to be keen on the idea of pushing up rates now. And indeed, at least one of them suggesting it could be self-defeating. Nonetheless, it does seem uh, that the majority of MPC members want to see interest rates start to go up due to the fact that inflation is staying up and indeed it's gone up further than expected. They now believe it's going to stay higher than expected for longer than they expected. Indeed, the bank's chief economist, uh, Hugh Pill, who only joined them recently, was talking about inflation in the UK being as high as 5%, if not more than that, uh, once we get into early 2022. Now, it's got to be said, that I think at this stage, the bank is perhaps not as quite as keen on the tightening idea as what financial markets are discounting. They're really now looking for base rate, bank rate, I should say, to add up towards the best part of one and a half percent or so uh, by the beginning of the second half of next year. And I suspect for the Bank of England, that's maybe a little bit too much. And it wouldn't surprise me, even if they do come out and raise interest rates on Thursday, to just kind of intimate in their policy announcements, well, let's not get too too carried away about this just yet. For start, where does, QE, yep. where does QE stand here? Right. Yes. Good point. Because this is going to be one of the interesting things. On paper, what we could see on Thursday is um, what the first increase in any of the major central banks in terms of interest rates at the same time as a quantitative easing program is still continuing. Now, unless they're going to end the QE program early, because it's not due to finish at the current rate of asset purchases until, what, mid to end December time, unless um, they're going to actually pull the plug on that and finish early, the asset purchases will still be running at the time when they raise interest rates. Um, as I mentioned, the original timetable for this, uh, the, the quantitative easing, uh, the tapering of the quantitative easing, was for it to be ended once we get into uh, the middle of December time. And from what Andrew Bailey's been saying, he seems to want to allow the quantitative easing program to run its full course. Now, the way the exit program, that's or exit schedule that's been laid down by the Bank of England works, is that we won't see 
um, any adjustment to the bank's balance sheet, at least in terms of quantitative tightening. And by that, I mean actually coming out and um, selling assets into the market. So to withdraw liquidity, as opposed to what's been the case for so long now, buying assets to pump liquidity in. We won't see that happening until bank rate has reached at least 1%. So in theory, the way it's structured at the moment, it would seem that the existing quantitative easing program, uh, which will amount to a total of, what, £895 billion sterling, will end once we get in, say, mid to late December time, during which during which time we'll see bank rate gradually moving up in the stormy moving up. And if it hits one percent at some point next year, that's when the bank then could decide, right, it's now time we start actually reducing the size of our overall balance sheet by introducing quantitative tightening. So as mentioned, so actually um, selling assets into the market rather than buying to withdraw liquidity. So that's how it's sort of structured at the moment. Um, but it's going to be an interesting one, I think, because it's, I don't know, reading between the lines, I think, you know, the bank, just go back a month or go, and indeed before that, uh, you talked a bit about the labour market on your side. Well, you know, within most, amongst most of the European central banks, they've had a similar sort of view to the extent, well, look, okay, we know inflation is going to be too high. At that stage, they're saying it's going to be temporary. But anyway, the focus was on making sure that the labour market had been fully healed, or at least got as close to that point as possible. Well, the UK labour market has not recovered all the jobs they lost um, during the course of the pandemic. Uh, the main unemployment rate is still about what half percentage point higher or so. Um, and of course, as at the end of September, uh, the furlough programme, so the big support package for the labour market was terminated. And indeed, in the September meeting, there was talk amongst many of the MPC members suggesting, well, look, we need to see what's going to happen to the labour market now this fiscal support has been withdrawn. And you take that little lot together, together with the fact that UK economic growth has slowed down. Most of the leading economic indicators suggest there's more of a slowdown to come. Retail sales as of September, have fallen for five consecutive months. And these are volume sales. They don't include inflation. So we're talking about volume sales. And we've never, ever seen that before since they first started to compile the data. So the idea, I think, of aggressive tightening at this stage is well out of the window. And I think the bank will tighten on Thursday, but it's going to be a kind of a you know, steady, cautious approach rather than a, you know, going, whole, going full, full force at it. Um, what else should be mentioning from my side? Um, just quickly pick up on the ECB last week. So in the intro, we're talking about you know, there is a shifting turn in, in, I suppose, global monetary policy now towards you know, reducing accommodation or in the lights, probably in the lights of the UK case, um, Reserve Bank of New Zealand and what South Korea actually raising interest rates and tightening policy. But for the European Central Bank last week, I mean, looking at their official statement, then it's almost a case, you know, spot the difference from the, the previous month. Um, really, they said pretty well exactly the same as they said um, in the September meeting. So the belief there is still that the rise in inflation will be only temporary um, and that at this stage they think there's no reason to do anything else with policy. Now, that said, um, President Lagarde did emphasise the fact that most of the conversation around the, the governing council table concerned inflation. So it does seem that they're coming that much more worried about it now. And certainly we've seen much stronger than expected numbers on the inflation side coming out. What the flash October inflation figure was up at 4.1 percent on the year. Um, that's it. That was, again, well above expectations and its highest uh, since July 2008. And the core rate 
Uh, that was up at 2.1%. Uh, and that's the first time we've seen that above 2%, the ECB's target, in the best part of a couple of decades. So there's going to be a lot of ECB hawks which aren't happy. But they still maintain that you know, they are going to reduce um, well, reduce quantitative easing, tapering, even if they won't actually call it that, but only a very limited amount. It seems that by and large, they are sticking with the view that policy is appropriate for the time being. Oh, what did you make of uh, uh, Lagarde's reference at, at, to calibrate, or calibrating that tapering? What, yeah. what does that mean? It's it's ECB talk. I must say she tried it at the last meeting and no one really took any notice of it. Um, essentially, what they've done is clearly we they, they use the PEP, the pandemic emergency purchase program to um, to initiate one to take uh, most of their quantitative easing now. And uh, as of the last or a couple of meetings ago, she came out and said that you know, they would be moderately reducing the amount of asset purchases um, undertaken through the PEP. Now, to most people's understanding, that would, for intents and purposes, it means they're tapering their purchases. But no, being the ECB, rather than trying to shift any kind of change in policy, they say it just reflects a recalibration. So how they see the world and everything else. So whenever the ECB chain tends to change policy, it tends to be expressed in terms of a recalibration. So um, you shouldn't look at, at the beginning. It, it, it's not the beginning of the end of Q. QE, when you, when you say calibration, and when I you say tapering, you think that you see at the end of the tunnel that, that QE is going to end. I think, yeah, I think that's a fair point. I think tapering to most people suggests exactly that. It's the start of a path towards zero and perhaps, you know, ultimately quantitative tightening. A recalibration perhaps hints it's just more of a, a one-off stock adjustment. And to be fair to the ECB, I mean, the PEP, they have always you know, pointed out that the PEP is a, you know, it's a flexible tool. It's, they're not committed to buying, let's say, the 20 billion euros a month of asset purchase that they do under the asset purchase program, which is the, the long-standing the old other part of quantitative easing that's tied in at 20 billion a month the pep is something which is say they've been using primarily to um you know to to, to undertake their quantitative easing program uh, for a long while now since the coronavirus struck but it's something which they keep pointing out is very flexible so it may be the case in one month they're hardly buying at all because the market's behaving themselves they don't see need to do that in another month they may actually buy well over what markets were expecting because perhaps they're not happy with the rising bond yields or whatever it may be so i think this kind of idea about a recalibration although as far as markets concerned it still basically means a reduction or a tapering in our asset purchases it can as far as they're concerned perhaps have a you know, slightly different connotation. Um, okay, so ECB uh, not out on a limb in not doing anything, but certainly uh, perhaps you know lagging behind a lot of the other major central banks at the moment. And on that front, we should mention the uh, Bank of Canada, which last week decided to well, effectively end its quantitative easing program. As of July, it had been buying two billion Canadian dollars worth of assets a week under its quantitative easing program. But as of last Wednesday, it decided now it would just simply start only in reinvesting maturing bonds. In other words, all they're looking to do now is rather than adding to their portfolio or balance sheet, they're just going to hold the balance sheet stable. Um, the next step beyond that will be to actually start you know, shrinking the balance sheet through quantitative tightening. But from what the, uh, the governor was saying last week, it looks as if we're going to be in this sort of semi-neutral state for the balance sheet for at least a period of time before they actually start to raise interest rates. So I assume, again, in terms of the way it's structured their markets, much the same as what you were saying about the Fed, you get the, you know, the, the 
the, the quantitative easing out of the way first before you actually start thinking about raising interest rates. One thing that they did say, though, of note um, is that they do appear to become at least a little bit more hawkish in a sense that for a long time now, they've been suggesting that the first hike in rates wouldn't happen until uh, the second half of next year. They seem to have pulled that forwards now to around about the middle-ish time of 2022. So again, it's, I think it's kind of the case that they're reluctant to come out and suggest that interest rates are going to go up. But from the way the inflation numbers have been coming in and typically well above expectations, uh, yeah, they're almost being forced in that direction because uh, financial markets are thinking, that, well, look, they're going to have to tighten or else inflation really be could become a major problem. Um, I'd quickly round off, uh, well, I guess, with the RBA, um, which really is one of the central banks, I guess, in some ways have sort of kind of caved into market pressure. So when we saw some, well, there are firm underlying inflation numbers out of the uh, Australia um, for the third quarter last week, although the headline data that was up, what, just 3.0% on the year and 0.8% on the month uh, for their quarterly CPI, that was in line with expectations. The underlying um, core measures were significantly stronger than expected. And that, that effectively led to a run on Canadian bonds at the back end of last week, which market um, participants expected the RBA to counter by, by inter intervening and buying. That didn't happen, um, which automatically had investors thinking, well, it looks like they might have pulled the plug now on their yield curve control, which had been operating since, well, effectively since the beginning of COVID last year. And indeed, as of yesterday, the RBA announced that uh, well, effective yield curve control has gone out the window. Uh, since they no longer um, believe that interest rates will going to hold at current levels for as long as they have been intimating in the past. Um, again, I think it's fair to say that they're still very reluctant to you know, suggest that interest rates are going up anytime soon. But nonetheless, the bottom line is that you know, they're gradually being pushed like other central banks in the, in the direction of some form of tightening at some point, or at least not being as... Um, as generous in terms of market liquidity and this sort of thing. So you pull it all together and it does suggest that, you know, by and large, central banks are heading in direction of at least less accommodation, if not actual outright tightening. OK, um, anything else we should be talking about? Well, I just wanted to really uh, 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 one thing about the RBA was that uh, uh, Governor Philip Lowe um, uh, described uh, the, the reaction to the data as a complete overreaction to the recent inflation data, which um, I just wanted to point that out. Um, and another thing was when I was talking about how many millions are short of the uh, the U.S. labor market, uh, we, I, uh, the numbers are if you look at uh, total employment, including the self-employed, it's 161 million. Uh, and before the um, pandemic hit, it was um, uh, 165. Okay, we, you know, I'm, I'm rounding here. But um, the it's not just the point of that, but it, this is like inflate, hum, the human population inflation. Uh, every year, that number goes up, should go up traditionally one or two million. So not only is there this, this missing three to four million people, but there would have been had there been no pandemic, a couple of more million yet above that. And uh, so I think that there's a population component going on here. And it is the dismal science. And uh, we've had the pandemic. 
and there are we haven't had any censuses done we don't really know how many uh, fewer uh, unfortunately how many fewer people there are because of the pandemic let alone people who are who who don't want to go to work mm-hmm. because of the pandemic or or, or 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 who can't go to work because of the pandemic so i think that there's a population factor here that i think could also help explain the supply snags that we're seeing these global supply snags that this you know uh, the, the lack of uh, uh, transportation, the lack of computer chips, all these things may very well be tied not only to restrictions, um, but also to a population uh, um, factor. I just wanted to put the, uh, put that out. Oh, interesting point. And I guess if that is the case and the population starts growing again, then rather just simply adding to demand, it's also going to boost supply, which can actually turn out to be disinflationary rather than being inflationary, yes. as we're seeing at the moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting times indeed. Right. OK, thanks, Mark. Well, let's wrap it up there then. So I guess what can we say? Well, inflation certainly pulling the policy strings for an increasing number of central banks at the moment. And it's going to be interesting to see whether those that have yet started tapering, well, let alone introduce outright tightening, can avoid being dragged along on their coat tales anyway on behalf of mark and myself many thanks for listening podcast will be back next week and in the interim you'll be able to read all about the fed and the bank of england as well as keeping up to date with the key data and other market moving events in economy's global economic calendar see you next time bye for now